Well, I'm excited you're here. We're starting a brand new series today called Pursuit. And uh, how many of you like that song this morning, that new song we sang, Pursuit? Wasn't that good? Boy, that, was, that, was, that song kind of captures what we want to say in this series. I don't know if you've noticed how complicated spiritualities become in our culture, but we've quickly moved from a monotheistic culture to a pluralistic culture. In other words, we've moved to a, from a culture who has a belief in one God to a culture who has a belief in many gods or in many paths to many gods or a belief in no God at all. And so there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of different ideas. There's a lot of different opinions about what's going on in our society. But the truth is there just aren't any substitutes that ever, uh, that ever satisfy the longing of the heart. So even inside Christianity, we can become so familiar with the methods and the style and comfortable uh, with a distant relationship with God, we can sort of sink down inside a form and, and walk in Christianity as morality or, or walk in uh, Christianity as routine and just hide there. The American brand of Christianity is a carryover from tent revival days. In the past, when the main focus was the act of accepting Christ as Savior. You know, have you prayed the prayer? Have you made a commitment? Have you, uh, uh, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? And after that, what? Well, that question was too often left unanswered. We're almost led to believe that once we find God, we don't need to seek Him anymore. We're fixed. We're going to heaven when we die problem solved. The problem was, you know, you've seen the simple little charts. Man is separated from God. You're lost without God. Man without God is doomed. And then there's a big gap in the middle. And on the other side is heaven and the promised land and everything good. And Christ with the cross built a bridge and you walk across it. End of story, problem solved. And they lived happily ever after. How many of your lives are that simple? Not mine. So, what is it beyond that moment in our relationship with God? In the Bible, we see a remarkably different story. Moses prayed in Exodus 33, If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. In Jeremiah 29, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. In Philippians, Paul wrote, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists, and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. He is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek Him. Psalm 42, David writes, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet God? Pursuing God's not a one-time event or even a sort of random list of scattered experiences. It's a lifelong walk with God. Now, it's not perfection, but it is pursuit. It does have a focus, it does have a goal, seeking and chasing and desiring God while we live our lives. Sometimes our lives are filled with joy and purpose, sometimes they're filled with failure and sadness and disappointment. But through it all, there is a pursuit, there is a, 
like a distance runner. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's walking with God, not just meeting with Him occasionally. See, you can't find God on Google search. You can't find God on Facebook. You're not going to Amazon.com God. Nobody's going to mail Him to your house in a package that you pushed a button to charge your credit card last Friday. It's the pursuit of a relationship. I remember uh, in the first few years that Stacy and I were married, you can see how in the evolution of a relationship, things change and you understand each other and you learn to love each other better and you learn to know who each other are and that's the same kind of pursuit we have with God. In the first few years of marriage, I can remember when we'd get in the car and be headed somewhere and I would say, where do you want to eat? Come on, guys, it's Valentine's this week. And she would say, I don't care, wherever you want to eat. You see the trap, right? I mean, everybody, you see what's coming. I thought what she meant by that was, I don't care wherever you want to eat. That's what I thought she meant, because that's what she said. That's not what that means. So I would name somewhere. Do you want to go? Nah. Come on, guys, help me. You want to go? Uh, uh, how about here? Nah. 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 Last time I was there, the table was dirty. Nah. Well, well, what about here? Do you want to go here? Nah. I don't really want to go there either. Okay. Okay. Where do you want to eat? Oh, I don't care. <laughs> well, apparently you do. <laughs> I, I thought she really didn't care. Now I realize I, what I don't, I don't really care what we, where we eat means is I can't think of what I want. Name some good places, and when you find one, I'll let you know. <laughs> I now understand that. I didn't understand that before, so I go, okay, wouldn't this be a lot easier if you could just start with the place you wanted to go rather than me getting the mood for 12 places and I can't go to any of them? And then I get the one, I go, okay, I don't care, but wherever we go, I don't want to go here. Oh, that sounds really good. Oh. But the longer you know each other, the more you understand the differences, and the more I realize... She's actually enjoying this. Not because it tortures me, maybe a little. Not because it tortures me, but because women use communication to connect. Men use it to get stuff done. I didn't see any reason to talk about it other than to find a restaurant. I'm not building a relationship here. I'm finding somewhere to eat. I'm on a, you know, men are hunters, right? I'm hunting. I'm hunting the food. The woman's building the house. I didn't know we were going to do that. I can remember when I was young in my relationship with God, I was overwhelmed by the reality that God would speak to me. I mean that he would guide me, that he would lead me, that, that God through circumstances and internal impressions and through sermons and teachings and through his word and through different things, I, I was amazed that God would speak to me, that he would guide me, that he would answer my prayers when I would pray to him. And, 
And, and I, I can remember being overwhelmed. I can remember being at summer camp one year when I was a teenager telling another teenager at the, at the prayer time, man, God wants to speak to us. And I can remember that person's life being ignited when, when they begin to hear inside their heart God's voice. And I can remember the, the, the drama, the mystery, the celebration, the joy that God God wants to talk now. I can't remember anything that he said. I don't remember the content. I just remember being overwhelmed with this profound thought that God wants to supernaturally talk to me. But as I grow in my relationship with God, as I pursue him more, now I'm more concerned about the content than the supernatural reality that he talks. Because that pursuit has caused a change in my understanding of who God is and why He acts the way that He does. Relationship changes understanding and depth. See, God is a person. And in His deepest part, He thinks and He enjoys and He feels and He loves and He desires and He suffers and He grieves. In making Himself known to us, He remains in that familiar pattern of His personality. He communicates with us through our mind, through our will, through our emotions. And this continuous exchange of love and thought between God and us is the throbbing heartbeat of Christianity. It's what it is. It's not praying the prayer. It's not getting saved. It's not the act. No, it's the relationship. That's just when it starts. Just like a wedding's not a marriage, neither is salvation a relationship. It just starts. God has pursued us through Jesus Christ coming to earth and dying for our sin. But Jesus' resurrection becomes an invitation for us to pursue him in return and develop a deep relationship. In January, as we talked about the theme for this year, we talked about it as the table. With Jesus' stretched out, sacrificed life, he has beckoned out an invitation to all the universe to come to the table. To come and have relationship with him. To pursue him. So in this series that we're going to share through the rest of February, I want to encourage this longing after God, this deep desire for Jesus. A wholehearted pursuit of God. A.W. Tozer in the book, The Pursuit of God, said it like this. Jesus waits to be wanted. Isn't that a good thought? Jesus waits to be wanted. The best way for us to understand this pursuit of God is to look at it in someone else's life. So for the next three weeks, we're going to be following three people's lives in the Bible who pursued God, and we're going to look how that pursuit changed their life. We're going to talk about, uh, we're going to follow Abraham and Moses and David. Now this morning I want to start with Abraham. If you have something to write with, I want to encourage you just to jot down a few notes, a few things that stick out to you and take them with you this week. James 2.23 says, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Look at this. And he was called a friend of God. He was called a friend of God. Abraham's pursuit of God got him labeled the friend of God. Now, what does it mean that Abraham was the friend of God? Well, let's start by thinking about what it it does not mean. 
What it does not mean is it does not mean moral perfection. In other words, Abraham was not the model of perfection or anything close to it. Twice he lied about his wife Sarah to save himself. He lied about it. That, no, that's my sister. I don't, that's not my wife. That's my sister. Because he got in a bond. He mistreated Hagar and Ishmael and sent them away in a, in a harsh and demeaning and cruel way. It doesn't mean that he was a man of moral perfection. He had plenty of flaws. He was a good man. He was a righteous man. He pursued God, but he had a ton of flaws. Not only does it mean that he wasn't a... a he didn't have moral perfection. He didn't have perfect faith. His faith wasn't perfect. He was impatient with God about having a son. He helped concoct a plan to have a child by Hagar. He kind of went around God's plan. He got tired of waiting on God. He got tired of believing God, and he said, I know this is your will. I'll fix it. And then he talked his wife into letting him sleep with one of their servants so that they would have the promised child. And then he argued with God about Lot and Sodom. Abraham, not only did he not have moral perfection, he didn't have perfect faith either. If friendship with God is not perfect morality or perfect faith, then what is it? Let me give you three things this morning. Looking at Abraham's life in Scripture, here's what we can learn about being the friend of God. Being the friend of God means that you have a growing dependence on God. A growing dependence on God. By the end of Abraham's life, he had learned through both failure and victory that he was not self-sufficient. I think that is the most relevant message to the American Christian and their relationship with God. The American dream has become a dream of self-sufficiency. And there's a part of that that is good, that we're not oppressed by government or dependent on government. Part of that in our DNA is good, but part of it is dark. It is like the Tower of Babel. I will build a tower to God. I will find God. I will become equal with God. I will be so self-sufficient, I won't even need God. I think that's a very relevant message. But Abraham learned sufficiency uh, being sufficient, not being self-sufficient, being dependent on God. He learned it because God provided a sacrifice for him on Mount Moriah. God made a covenant with Abraham, and then do you, if you remember this, he promised to be the one who ensured it by walking through the covenant pieces himself, saying, Abraham, you have nothing to do with this. You sit under a tree over the side, and I'll walk through the covenant, the, broke, the broken animal pieces, and I'll take both sides of the covenant on myself. If, you're, uh, if you study the Bible, you remember that story. God miraculously allowed Sarah to give birth to Isaac at a very old age. Abraham couldn't, couldn't do anything about that. The scripture says that Abraham never built a city because he was looking for a city whose maker and builder was God. In other words, Abraham had learned that God was Jehovah Jireh. He was the God that provides. He had a growing dependency on God. Now, I want to ask you this morning, can you think of some things in your life that God has done for you that you can't do for yourself? Can you think of some things? And I just want to encourage you during the next few minutes as this message goes on, just to, just to write, write those down. 
just to write those down. Can you think of some things that God has done for you that you couldn't do for yourself? Now, here's what I want to challenge you with. The shorter the list, the more independent of God you tend to be. Because you can't even think of the things that God's done. You're not aware of what he's done for you. So the shorter the list, the less dependent you tend to be on him, and the less you realize you need him at all. The longer the list, maybe the more aware you are of just how much you need him. To pursue God, I've got to be willing to enter into a relationship with him on his terms, confessing my need for him. You don't just need him for salvation, you need him for life. You need him for your marriage, you need him for your family, you need him for your job, you need him for your eternity, you need him for your health, you need him for your inner health, you need him for your mind, you need him for peace. You need him. I need him. And the the awareness level we carry on that says everything about our pursuit for God. About how well we're really after him, how much we really want him. So a growing dependency on God. Here's the second one. Trusting obedience in God. A friend of God is not only growing in dependence, a friend of God has trusting obedience in God. Trusting obedience is another way to say faith. Now faith is not faith because you feel it. Faith is not some ethereal feeling. Faith is not um, optimism. Faith is not, faith is not um, a good outlook. What faith is, is faith is faith because you've acted on it. It's not a lucky charm, it's not a fortune cookie, it's not a rabbit's foot, it's not a good feeling that the the, the odds are in your favor. That's not what it is. Faith is acting on it. See, God told Abraham to offer his only son Isaac as a sacrifice on the mountain. Remember, this was the same son that God had promised that would make Abraham the father of many nations. Now check this out. If God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, I'm going to give you a son way late in life and that son is going to have offspring and offspring and offspring and offspring and that's going to make you the father of many nations that's what God tells him in one instance in another instance he says now that the boy's 12 kill him well how can I be the father of many nations if I kill the promised child that you gave to me now follow the story the Bible shows us that Abraham didn't understand it But he acted on it. You ever have anything in your life like that? Man, I don't understand these circumstances. I don't understand what I'm going through. I don't understand how doing this, following God this way, is going to do anything good. I can't see how God's going to make any sense out of this. That's faith. (laughs) Faith is acting on that. It's It's not just... When everything's going well, acting right. But Abraham acted on it, and he did. Listen to this. The Bible tells us because he believed that even if he killed Isaac, God would raise him from the dead. Boy, there's a big thought right there. Abraham had faith in God's resurrection power before Jesus was ever resurrected. Now that is faith. Do you have resurrection faith? 
Do you believe that even if you mess it up, even if you kill it, even if you go the wrong way, even if you pursue God with all your heart, that even if he leads you some places you don't want to go, he'll exhibit resurrection power on your behalf? Man, that's a powerful thought. Resurrection power. That's faith. Even, even if I hurt myself, even if something goes wrong in my obedience to God, I believe he will resurrect it. Man, I'm telling you, that's faith. That's pursuing God right there. That's getting down to the nitty-gritty. Now, God stopped him, and he gave him an animal to sacrifice. But Abraham's trusting obedience was a rugged pursuit of God that moved him into a different place in his relationship with God. Trusting obedience is one of the most difficult things I know in life. I can remember when um, I was in college and I was preparing for ministry and uh, Stacy and I had gotten married. She had uh, graduated uh, college and then... Uh, we were married and went back to school to finish my last year. And so we're there. She's done. We're just working. I, I was uh, doing lawn work, and she worked at a, a tea room as a hostess. And we were just kind of working and living and waiting, trying to get my education done, trying to figure out what our next step in life would be. And since I was 16, I knew that God had... Uh, called me to ministry. It was undeniable in my mind. And um, I went through my, you know, junior year of high school, my senior year. I laid out a year to raise money to get to school. Then I got to school, and now I've gone through four years of college. I'm in the middle of the fourth year. In the meantime, we've gotten married. Life is moving. And, and we're coming down to just weeks before our lease is up, and we've got to get out or re-sign for another year and all of this stuff. And I had never been through that transition point in my life. And we begin to search, all right, God, where do you want us to go and what do you want us to do now that this is over? And we had, we had, we had talked to, followed up with, interviewed with most of 13 churches. Uh, one pastor in uh, uh, Belgium had agreed to hire us. We were going to go to we were going to go to uh, Brussels, and we were going to do ministry there. And I, we talked to somebody in Wichita, Kansas, and we talked to somebody in the uh, outlying Central Alabama area, and we talked to people all over. And one by one, by one by one, by one by one, no matter how close we got, the door would close. And time's running out, and I'm stressed, and she's stressed, and it's just overwhelming me. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's wrong with, with me, why nobody wants to hire me. I can't figure it out. And, and there's that moment where you wonder, God, why did you bring us to this point only to have this now? And I can remember walking home. We just had one car, so I would walk from school. I walked home, and this was just weight was on me, this just gloomy, dark stress. And I can remember walking home and throwing my book back down and leaning over our little chair in the little, little uh, studio apartment we had in the living room. And I can remember diving in that chair, and I can remember just saying, something happened on the inside of me that I thought 
had everything to do with ministry. Now that I look back, I realize it had everything to do with my relationship with God. I dove my face in that chair and I began to cry and I just began to say, All right, God, I'm done. You ever tell, you ever get, just only me, only people like me. I'm done. I've done everything I know to do. I've followed everything I believe you told me to do. I've tried. I've done the right thing. I've not lied on my resume or shortcutted or played politics or anything else. I've not gone off after the ambitions of my heart. I've tried to do what you wanted. And so now it's on you. I quit. I quit and I give up and I resign and I let go and I'm jumping off this cliff and if you don't catch me, I'm going to hit the bottom. So catch me if you want to. Don't catch me if you want to. I don't care. I, I'm, I'm going all in on you and I have no idea what's going to happen. And there you go. It's kind of like the book of Jeremiah. You and God kind of have it out. I had no idea how important that was for my soul. Nothing happened the next day or the next day or the next day or the next week or the next week after that. Now, eventually something happened. We, a, a path that led to here. But I didn't know any of that then. And in that moment, something broke in my spirit and I began to either trust or not trust, I don't know. But I began to take a step off a cliff out into thin air and say, God, wherever you lead me, I believe in resurrection power. And even if I hit the bottom of the cliff and I die, you're going to do something. And I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm stepping out there. Now, if you drop me, I'll probably never do it again. <laughs> but I'm, I'm coming now. And can I tell you, it did something for my soul. It did something for my relationship with God. It did something for me for the journey I was on at the time that changed my relationship with Him and gave me greater faith in the next step of the journey. That's what I'm talking about, a pursuit. A pursuit. Some of you this morning have issues you're facing. And the deeper reality is not will the issue get resolved. That's what you think the reality is, but that's not the deeper reality. The deeper reality is will you trust God? No matter what happens, will you trust God? Will you trust God enough to act on it? What do I mean? How do I act on it? To act like He's involved. Not say He's involved, not believe He's involved. Act like He's involved. To act like He cares. To act like He's going to work it out in the end for you. Will you act on it? Pursuing God means trusting Him enough to obey Him. Jesus said in John 15, 14, You are my friends if you do what I command. How did Abraham become the friend of God? Growing dependence, trusting obedience. Here's the final one. Remaining with God. Remaining with God. Friendships aren't discovered like a $10 bill that somebody dropped on the ground. That's not how friendships work. Friendships are made, they're developed. Forging a friendship takes time. Abraham's relationship with his wife was a lifetime event. He didn't get rid of her even when it appeared she couldn't have children. It was a rough relationship and it was tested severely more than once. But he remained. 
And Abraham's relationship with God also was a lifetime event. Abraham, like his relationship with his own wife, he didn't have a perfect relationship with God either. It was uncomfortable at times and rocky and hurtful and humanly painful, but Abraham remained. Abraham became the friend of God because he stayed. Jesus talked about this in John 15 when he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Remain in me and my words remain in you and you ask what you will and it will be done. You remember the scripture? John 15. Abiding in the vine, remaining. Don't expect to have a close relationship with God if you don't remain like a vine. It needs time to grow. It's not instant. For me, remaining means taking the time to grow my friendship with God. It's praying and reflecting and journaling and reading the Bible and worship and uh, gathering together at worship times. It's soak, it's devotions, it's learning to communicate with God like an open book. Bringing my joy to God, bringing my hurt to God, bringing my fears and my dreams and my uh, frustration and, and my pains. It's coming to God as I am, not needing to make a good first impression. It's just saying it to Him the way I say it to myself inside my head. It's letting the true me out to Him. It's learning to hear His voice by listening. It's learning to trust Him first. Boy, that's a big deal right there. When something happens in your life, what's your default setting? Where's the first place you turn? That tells you, your impulses tell you a lot about your heart. It's choosing to live in his presence. It's living in a growing awareness that he's always with me. It's meditating on his words. It's friendship on a deep level like a marriage. The decision to remain commits me to a lifelong process that develops intimacy and understanding and love over time. You ever notice the longer a couple's together, the more they look alike? I'm, I, I hate to say that for some of you ladies. Bless your heart. I'm so sorry. I can only apologize. But, but maybe he looks like you. You know, I, I don't know. It could go either way. Isn't that interesting that the longer that even two humans share life, the more even their physical characteristics begin to take on each other's form? Isn't that interesting? There's something spiritual, there's something internal, there's something emotional, there's something intellectual, there's something inside so dynamic that it draws the outside into it. That's how your relationship with God is. In Isaiah when the Bible says, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. That word wait means, in the Hebrew it means twist. Like a cord, like a rope. Those that twist with God, those that intertwine with God. Renew their strength. They get so wound up with God and He with them that you can't hardly tell the difference. That's how a person becomes godly. They become intertwined and wound up with Him. This is what pursuing God is like. Just staying with Him deepens your love for Him and causes you to understand Him better. Sometimes it's not the big miracle that happened. Sometimes it's not even anything memorable. Sometimes it's just that you keep showing up. I mean, you got in your car and you drove here this morning and you showed up. And maybe that's what your relationship with God's like. We talked about it last month. It's like the table. The thousands of meals that we've shared and most of them, not only can we not remember what we ate, we can't even remember who we ate with. 
We can't remember them. At the time, it seemed like nothing was happening. But when we look back, we see in those relationship spaces, oftentimes everything was happening. And that's how it is sometimes with your relationship with God. You get up Monday morning, you get your devotional book out, you read your scripture, you go, ah, man, I'm not getting anything out of this. Nothing's happening. When's God going to do something? When's my life going to change? You keep beating your head against a brick wall, and it seems like nothing's happening. But I'm telling you, if you believe in resurrection power, everything's happening. Everything's happening. You are, you are just showing up. His word is alive. It's quicker than any two-edged sword. And it may feel like an empty exercise at times, but you keep putting that word in you, and I'm telling you, everything's happening. Everything's happening. Sometimes it feels like a waste of time, but just like a seed that is opened underground that hasn't broke the surface of the ground yet, that's how your relationship with God is. Just because you can't see it on the surface doesn't mean... Nothing's happening. Maybe this morning, you just need to show up. Maybe it's not all up to you. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's not going to be a big event. Maybe it's not going to be a big miracle. Maybe it's not going to be a big anything. Maybe when we come to prayer in a few minutes, what you need to do is just show up. And just say, God, by faith, I don't have anything to bring today except my desire to remain and God best as I can today here I stand I'm just going to stand here I'm just going to stay in you because that's what your word tells me to do how does God choose his closest friends how does God choose his closest friends I mean if Abraham was the friend of God what are, what are we <laughs> chopped liver how does God choose his closest friends? I think he lets us choose. In other words, there's enough God to go around. It's not like we're going to overbook his calendar. See, I, I think it's like this. We're as close to God as we want to be. Think about that in your relationship with God. However close you are to God, you're as close to God as you want to be. Maybe it wasn't so much that God chose Abraham to be the friend of God. Maybe Abraham chose to be the friend of God. And if that's true, you and I can make the same choice. Maybe it's our dependence and our obedience and our remaining that causes it. I'm going to ask our uh, worship team to come now. There's a man uh, simply known as Brother Lawrence who shared this story about a milestone in his pursuit of God. Here's how the story goes. On a routine nighttime flight between Dallas and Denver, our airliner was suddenly caught in a turbulent thunderstorm. The plane bounced up and down in the storm, and then we suddenly heard a loud crack, immediately plunging the main cabin into darkness. The cabin crew worked hard to calm the frightened passengers. I made no sound, but my heart was pounding in my chest. Above the turbulence, I heard some passengers whimpering, and others were praying. It was dark in the plane and it was dark outside, except for the impressive streaks of lightning that lit up the night sky. We were circling the Denver airport. I was alone and terribly restless. As I stared out the window, I soon sensed the Lord's presence come over me in a special way. He spoke softly to my heart and asked, Do you trust me? Tears sprang to my eyes. 
Again, he gently asked, do you trust me in all circumstances? Do you trust me with all your heart? So there on a plane in a storm, a fresh, deeper bond of intimacy between me and my God was pledged. Somehow we landed safely in Denver. Listen to this. And my pursuit of an intimate friendship with Jesus deepened once again. Well, that's a powerful experience. So the question I came to ask you this morning is, how is your friendship with God? I'm not even asking you this morning, are you a Christian or not? I want to speak specifically to Christians. How is your friendship with God? When's the last time after you accepted Christ, after your salvation experience, when's the last time you had an experience with God? When's the last time you had an encounter with Him? When's the, when's the last time your Christianity was about more than just dry, faithful routine? As though your Christianity boils down to just do the right thing. Christianity is much more than morality. It's relationship. It's not just do the right thing. It's friendship with God. So this morning, I want to ask you to stand with me. I want to ask our prayer team to come. And I want to ask you a few questions before we pray. Every eye closed. If you'll just find a place you can stand for a moment still. something you're trying to do in your life by yourself and you haven't prayed about it you haven't turned to God with it and you haven't depended on him is there something in your life that you're trying to accomplish on your own you haven't prayed about it you haven't depended on God you haven't turned to him with it it's a frustration a pain circumstance a decision Nobody looking around. I just want you to lift your hand and say, yeah, that's me. Come on, just lift them up. Just lift them up. Just lift them up. Just lift them up. All over the room, just lift them up. That's me. Yeah. Just lift it up and put it back down. That's me. Where are you struggling to trust? Where are you facing lack? Or where are you facing problem that needs to be solved? Is it some provision that you need or relationship that you need a breakthrough in or your own health? Have you turned your trust into action? Do you have a need this morning in your life that you haven't acted in faith on yet? Would you just lift your hand and say, that's me. I have a need in my life and I've not acted on it yet. Just lift your hand. Just lift your hand. I'm not acting like I believe God. I mean, I'm trying, but I'm not acting like I believe God. Come on, lift your hand up. I'm not acting like it. I'm not acting on it. I'm not walking in that. 
I'm not, I'm not walking like God's going to work this out. I'm walking like something bad's about to happen. I don't know what to do. Would you just lift your hand? You put it right back down. Today, maybe you just need to show up. Maybe the best thing, the biggest thing, the biggest step for you to take is, maybe you say this morning, I have not pursued God like I want to. I've not pursued God like I needed to. But today, I feel the Holy Spirit calling me to just show up. Would you lift your hand right now and say, that's me. I just need to show up. Come on, lift your hand. Come on, lift your hand. I just need to show up. Come on, I just need to show up. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do a miracle. I don't have to make anything happen. I don't have to do anything dramatic. God's just asking me to show up. If you lifted your hand, in just a minute, I want to ask you to come and our prayer team agree with you and pray with you. And I'm telling you, it's time for you to have an encounter with God and just let Him meet you here as He is. You don't, you don't have to expect have any kind of preconceived idea about what he's supposed to do. Just let him do what he wants to do. Lord, this morning we love you and we pursue you and we acknowledge in our life our need to pursue you in a greater way. And so, Lord, this morning as our hand is lifted, we take a step of faith and we come toward you and we say, God, we're going to pursue you this morning. Just like the psalm said, like Moses said, like David said, like Abraham did. Lord, we're coming after you today. Fill our life with your kingdom and your will. In Jesus' name. As the worship team begins to sing, I want you to step out right now if you lifted your hand. And I want you to